Welcome to the Life Fellowship Ministries International Broadcast. Our mission is to develop, maintain, and model personal intimacy with Jesus Christ. And now, join us for the Life Fellowship Experience. Now, I'm talking to those who are in this room who were born of a woman. I have a special message for you. I want you today to pamper the one that you call mother, mom, whatever your special name for her is, whatever, however she's related to you, pamper her today with whatever would make her feel loved and appreciated. Think of it as today's assignment, okay? And promote, it will promote peace and joy in her life, and it'll promote peace and joy in your life too, okay? All right, so we are in a new series that is called Revival. The pastor brought it last week. I mean, he brought it. I don't know how many of you, he wasn't stepping on my toes. I mean, he was hopping on my knees by the time I got out of here. And we found out revival means to improve the condition or the strength of something. It's also the reawakening of a religious fervor, excitement, passion, enthusiasm. Now, when we speak of a Jesus revival, we are speaking of an outpouring of fresh awareness of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. There should be an excitement renewed. There should be a hunger that is stirred within us to want more of him. And we envision a strengthening or an improvement of each person's love, gratitude, and commitment to Jesus. That's a revival. And the R word, because Pastor told us that in this series, each letter, and there's seven of them, he will make an emphasis of revival. And last week we heard, repent. It begins, the revival does, when we become aware of our sins. And for some of us, we have to become aware of them again. Because we could become comfortable with them. We don't think about it, but it is sin of pride, sin of unforgiveness, sin of lust, sin of gossip, lying, idolatry, just to name but a few. And once we begin to think differently about sin, we can no longer be casual with them. And we yield to the Holy Spirit and can go sincerely to Jesus and ask for cleansing, forgiveness, and a new start. Revival. Today, the second letter is E, and we're going to talk about engage. You know, when I um, started to look at the word engage, I thought, hmm, how does that relate specifically to revival. So I looked up its meanings. And engage means to involve someone's interest or attention, 
to participate or become involved in, to enter into contract, to move into position so as to come into operation. I'll explain that a little more in a bit. To enter into conflict or combat with an enemy. Those are all engaged. And I thought, huh, which one works? That was an easy choice. All of them. So let's start with the first one, if we can. Engage, definition number one, was to involve someone's interest or attention. Do you know what gets our attention the fullest, the quickest? A very difficult situation, especially when it's very personal. Attention. Nothing else matters then. And you're focused in on that one thing. Did you realize that God will permit very difficult situations in our lives? And he uses them to get our attention. He wants to engage us. Now, we can see the example of this when he chose the people who were not a people, and he made them a people, and he called them Israel. And he told them, through you I chose you, not because you were the biggest or the smartest or the greatest. I chose you. And I chose you for this purpose. I want you, through you, I want the world to know who I am. I want you to know who I am, and then tell them about it. Show them. And for those of you who have read Bible, even a little bit, we know that sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. They would play that in-out game. I love God. I'm okay without him. I love God. I'm okay without him. And when they would choose that second part, or worse, they would add to him. Let me tell you straight up right now. There's no such thing as Jesus and anything else. It's Jesus, period. And they would add to him idols, poles, statues, rituals, all those things that were not supposed to be there. And then there would be a disaster. There would be a hardship. There would be a very difficult situation they could not get out of. And they would say, oh, Oh, I remember. We need to go back. Our pastor, Don Lavelle, taught us that anything that drives you to your knees is not really all bad. Because now you're in a position that we should have been in all along. When we become aware of our need to get very real, and raw honest with God, when we know that we can no longer rest in the comfort of ourselves, our own strength, our own knowledge, our own resources, when we can no longer point fingers at everyone else and their faults and their shortcomings, by the way, there's four pointing back at you when you do that, when we look inward and we fall on our knees 
and look upward. And we cry out, you have my attention, Lord. You know what he does? He revives us. He strengthens us. He energizes us. And we engage with God. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, I would say she, but I get in trouble for that. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 4, verse 16, said it this way. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. That's where it is. Engage. Involve attention. Get our attention. That's what he wants. You remember the second definition? It was to participate or become involved in. It is not enough just to be attentive to something if we truly want to be engaged. We must be involved as well. How do we show involvement? How do you show involvement with God? It's easy. You all know it. You say it all the time. We live what we believe. We live it. Paul explained it to the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, in this way. Above all, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Let's stop there. How many of you are citizens of the United States? Do you know the world can recognize... <laughs> That was cute, Mark. You know, the world can recognize a, uh, an American no matter where you are. They do. They see us. They can spot us out a mile away. I could go to Mexico and blend in by my looks. By the way, I'm not Mexican. I know, I know. But when I get, really, I'm not. I'll tell you later. But w when I get there, the moment I open my mouth, they're going to know. How I act, how I talk, I'm not, I'm not blending in the way they want to. When we went to Israel, there was such a blend of people, all of us could be there and they wouldn't know until we spoke or just our mannerisms. They would say, oh, those are Americans. Genes give us away, by the way. Above all, you must live as a citizen of heaven. Okay, you got to realize something. You consider yourself citizens of the United States. You're born here. You're an American. You know, even if I went to England, they would know I was not speaking the same language. We really have American English. If you've not heard a true Englishman speak, it's not the same. But if we're a citizen of heaven, and I'm saying it's the language that would separate us, wouldn't a citizen of heaven have a different language too? Hmm. Something to ponder. He goes on to say, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Nobody else is going to do it for you. You have to do it yourself. 
and you have to conduct yourself that you really know what the gospel is and that you're living like it. That you don't just know it here, you know it in here. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, this is Paul speaking, I will know that you are standing together. Would all of you please stand for a moment? Look around the room. Everyone is standing. The key word in this is together. Thank you for that. You may be seated. Standing together. And here's what the key is. In one, with one spirit, with one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Notice he didn't say fighting each other. Or fighting with the people over there in that other church that don't know what we do or how we do it. And they certainly should be doing it like we do, right? No. One spirit, one purpose, one faith. He goes on to say, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Hmm. Who are they? Because hmm. this will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved even by God himself. What was the sign? Oh, it was a key word. What? Together. When we are together, one spirit, one purpose, Together. For you have been given. Now, if you thought the rest was pretty tough, wait to hear this one. You've been given the privilege, not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, because do you realize that that's a privilege to know about him, to receive him, to call him king, to call him Lord, to trust him? You've also been given the privilege to suffer. <laughs> For him. We need to know that. We need to know because the word revival is what we're anticipating, what we're hoping for, what we're praying for, what we're in need of, but it requires. You see, not everybody's going to be all excited. Not everybody's going to be jumping for joy that we're Christians. Having a Christian badge on does not gain you open doors. Have you ever been hurt just because you're a Christian? Have you ever been mocked? Have you ever been lied about? That's suffering for him. It's what happened to him. And if we're going to be like him, we're going to go through what he went through. Except for the cross part. It's done once. When we are standing together, when we are fighting together, when we are trusting in Jesus together, when we are suffering together, we are struggling together, we are participating together, we are involved together, now we are engaged together. And you know what God 
greatly desires of us? Unity. Unity. And it requires us realizing what that is and how to achieve it. And if you need to know, it's in Philippians, the step-by-step way to do that. Now, definition number three of engage. And of course, this is usually the one that most of us think of right away. Because as soon as I heard engage means to enter into a contract. Oh, sure. Engagement, right? See the ring? We're engaged. I know when women are all excited and come and show off. Yes, yes. It, it applies to a couple pledging to marry or even a performer pledging to a, a contract for a period of time. One week engagement only. See, blah, blah, blah. Remember? Y'all have seen that. Remember like this. Yes, you've seen it. Um, the thing about it is, to enter into a contract, people typically come to Jesus, typically, because they're in a major crisis far beyond their own ability to solve it. And we come desperate, we come needy, we come at the end of ourselves because we've come to the realization that only God can help. And only he is the answer. So we turn to him with our need and we run to him. And there he is waiting for us with arms open wide. And we say, oh, help me, please. I, I need you. I'm yours. And he takes us and he holds us and we rest in his arms. And too often... Once that crisis is over, <laughs> we break off the engagement. See you, God. Thanks. I'm good. I'm gone. Contract broken. We don't want to do that. But too often we do because it's not convenient. God isn't a God of convenience. I'll tell you that right now. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. Let's just think about that for a moment. You know, when the Hebrew children were walking across the world or their little portion of it, as they were in conquering enemies, they weren't conquering people who had no concept or idea of a god. They just had their own. And they had sticks, and they had stones, and they had stuff that they would worship. They even knew about worship. You see, we were all created in his image, and we all have this innate need in us to worship, to know something's higher than we are. And they called them gods. It was even a familiar word. We remember, for those of you who went through Exodus with me, that the Pharaoh was considered the greatest god of Egypt at the time that he reigned. They thought of him as a god. So that concept was not the issue. The issue was, what god do you serve? 
And he said, understand that the Lord, your God, he's it. You've got lesser stuff you can do. If you like that rock better, go ahead. <laughs> or you want to carve a tree out so you can sit at it and ponder. Okay. But we worship the one who created those things. He made them all. He's greater than we can even possibly begin to imagine. He is so big. He is so great. He is so powerful and gentle and loving and forgiving. He's awesome. We need no other. We just need to introduce him to everyone else. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant, a.k.a. contract, for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commandments. That's the God I want. That rock doesn't do a whole lot for me. Contract. Hebrews, she wrote this. Oops. Hebrews 13, 20, and 21 say this in the NIV. Now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, who through the blood of the eternal contract, because we're talking about entering into a contract, brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, we be the sheep, May that God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let me tell you what kind of contract we're signing on to. He gives it all. <laughs> he does it all. We sign on with him. There's nothing to strive for. There's nothing to try to figure out. There's just walking with him, listening to him, doing what he asks. And then he, oh, let me read that again. What he do? He'll work in us. He'll give to us every good thing. He'll work it out. He works out of us what we don't need or shouldn't have anyway. It does, it does require something. I, I misstated that. You know what it requires of us? Letting it go. If we will yield, because I know what he's going to do so much better than whatever I could do. Truthfully, anything I've tried to do on my own, I've messed up. I don't know about you guys. It has not worked out the way it could have if I would have but listened. All right. And the other thing... <laughs> Please don't be a Christian that looks for loopholes in the contract. Seriously. I've met plenty of them. Yeah, but. Let me give you an example. A man who was a Christian and married truly wanted to have an affair with his wife in a Christian manner. I mean, an affair with his secretary in a Christian manner. <laughs> Yeah, come on, women, we know. Yeah, sure, go ahead, I've got a gun. No, um, he used, and he said, I want to search for it in the scripture. I know I can find it, and he finally did. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what a twist of the truth that is. He didn't take the truth and fit into it. He took the truth and twisted it to himself and his situation. That's finding loopholes. Don't do that. And the fourth definition. This is the one that was really tricky for me. For you men, you're going to get it just like that. I know, and probably some of you women too. To move into position so as to come into operation. And when I read that, I had to go, huh? What? I said, Lord, you're going to have to explain this to me because I can't get past the words, much less explain it. And he said, well, once you put the gear into this place, then the engine or the mechanism can go. You have to put this into place for it to work. So you have to move into position to come into operation. I went, oh, wow, thanks. So how do we do that? How do we move into a position to operate in the function as God intended us? Same answer. We live what we believe, and we be an example to those around us, be it a family, the work, school, wherever. That's what you do. And first, we have to know a couple of things. We live what we believe. Well, that's going to require. Hmm. Because I have to figure out, <laughs> well, what do I believe? Right? What do I believe? We have the owner's manual. And we need to know what we believe. It requires something that most of us do not think we have enough of. Time. It requires time. Let me tell you what it would require for most of us, if not all of us. It would require us giving up screen time. Ouch. Screen time. Be it a television, be it a computer, an iPad, a tablet, or a phone. Yeah, I know, I just stepped on somebody's toes. You have to determine to read the Bible that you may know what you believe and why, that you can move into position because we do have a function. You do realize, don't you, that we are a part we are a part of a body. And if you are the nose, I do not want you functioning as a toe. And you can mix them up however you want to, but that's not where it belongs. You need to know where you function and how to get there, and you're not going to be able to until you read the Bible and make it real, not just an exercise of something you have to do to check that off your list, but rather a desire to be part of revival and to be engaged with God so that when he says, I need you to do this, you're ready, you're willing, and you are able because you know. Peter explained it like this in 1 Peter, his first epistle, 
in chapter 1, starting in verse 13. <laughs> so prepare your minds for action and self-control. You know, whenever they say that self-control stuff, I just wish I could just get, you know, somebody else to remind me this is what I need to do. But no, he always says, you have to do it. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you, not if, when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You see, there's theologians that are thinking that's what we're maybe on the brink of, a Jesus revival. So, 14 goes on, you must live as God's naughty children. Oh, that's not your translation? No, of course not. We're already doing that. Oops. We need to live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you. Look at yourself or point at yourself and you say, he chose me. He chose you. He chose you. He's holy. But now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. And now, uh, don't all of you want to go, what? What? Wow. How? Wait. Wait a minute. Is that part of the contract? Let me read the fine print. Yeah, it is. Let me just put you at ease. You cannot do that on your own. There's no way you can just be poof. I'm holy. It requires. It requires us preparing our mind, exercising self-control, remembering and hoping for that salvation. When Jesus is revealed, he's going to be calling out my name. Christine, okay, go ahead, come on. Live like an obedient child. Don't go back to your old ways. Be holy. And here's the reason, he says in verse 19. For the scriptures say, remember the thing we're reading? The thing we're believing? God himself said this. You must be holy because I am holy. If we're his... How many of you have a portion of DNA in your body that was coming from your parents? Hello, all of us. See, when we were born again, hmm, we have new bloodline. And the blood that is now in us when we got born again is holy. We can fight it or we can become. Choice is always ours. We're part of the body of Christ. We don't want a broke. He does not want a broken body. He doesn't want a blemished body. He wants a pure and holy body of Christ. It's his bride. It's the engagement. 
It's the contract. So we need to fit in the place that we're supposed to be and do what we're supposed to do, that we can be a part of the whole. You know with us missing, it doesn't work correctly. And the final definition. This was probably the easiest of all for all of us. To enter into conflict or battle, combat with an enemy. <laughs> Do I need to explain that? Y'all know. Nick, I know you watch the movies. Come on. Don't engage with the enemy. Stop. Right? You can even name what movie that comes from. But here's the thing. That's one of the reasons we engage to enter into combat. Whether you realize it or not, you are in combat now. You're in combat all the time. You're in spiritual warfare. And unless you understand what that means, you're going to get whooped like your mama caught you doing something bad. Except the enemy whom we engage with doesn't whoop. He comes to kill. He comes to steal. He comes to destroy. He doesn't take prisoners. The things that we battle with are actually on three fronts. Hmm. Um, we are combating our own fleshly desires, the carnal man. We are combating wicked voices, wrong advice. Sounds so good. You know, we, are, we should be all inclusive. No. 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 If God says no, it's the same thing we say. Don't be tricked by the world. This is your manual. Our own carnal desires, wanting to satisfy our sexual desires inappropriately through pornography, adultery, or fornication. Adultery is if you're married and you have sex with someone other than your spouse. Fornication is if you have sex outside of marriage. And the others are just wrong. No same sex, no animals, no children. Come on. And it's in the book. Um, don't take wrong or wicked advice that comes from family or friends or the corrupt world systems. Don't listen to that. The devil and his demonic ways, his demons. Let me tell you through scripture. Regarding combating the flesh, let's go to Galatians 5 in the English Standard Version, the ESV. 16 and 17. 16 says this, but I say, Galatians was written by Paul, and he's teaching them, and he's trying to give, get them to understand. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Holy Spirit resides within us. Holy Spirit has come to lead and guide us into all truths. Holy Spirit has come to comfort us. Be sure that you are baptized in and full of Holy Spirit so that you can learn to hear him. And you walk by him. You walk by what he says. Not of your own intuition. 
not because somebody else is saying something. No, you walk by the Spirit. And if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Bam. Anyone ever struggle with the desires of the flesh? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. He goes on to say, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these oppose each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That is, engage correctly, listen to God, follow after him. And if we're not going to do that, you're listening to the wrong voice. Speaking of listening to the wrong voice, let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs 2, 12 through 15, sorry, says this. Wisdom will save you. How do you get wisdom? I'm glad you asked. Wisdom will save you from evil people. Now, you know, you have to stop and think about that for a minute. Wait a minute, God. You love all people, and yet you call some evil. It's because they made the choice. <laughs> They chose that. They, did, they, weren't, they didn't become evil. They said no to God. Wisdom will save you from evil people whose words are twisted. Oh, that sounds so good, but I'm not sure. It seems, mm, listen to that. These men turn, oh, that's in case you didn't know that I'm talking about people. These men turn from the right way to walk down dark paths. They take pleasure in doing wrong, and they enjoy the twisted ways of evil. Their actions are crooked, and their ways are wrong. Somebody have some sense. Why are we listening to this stuff? Why are we thinking that this is okay, that we would do this to our children, to our society, to our country, to the world? We are listening to wicked people. The devil, Satan, Lucifer, and his demons. Let's go to Ephesians. Because it's enough <laughs> to have to battle with ourselves. And then those voices. But there's someone always wanting you to. There's someone who so hates God. They want to destroy you because of their hatred, because of his hatred for God. He hates you. Ephesians 6.10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. He has strategies and he knows what to use to get to you. He knows where your weak places are and he's going to stay on those and he's going to pound on them and pound on them. Well, if you have on armor, it's like he's taking a toothpick to you. God's armor is strong. But 
God didn't say, you know, I'll make you Iron Man. Just stick your hands out. It all comes on. Uh, no. You have to put it on. You have to put it on. You have to know what the armor of God is and how to put it on. It's in here. We are not fighting, 12, uh, Ephesians 6, 12 goes on, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Wait, I thought we were. No, no, you just don't listen to them. You don't have to fight them. Just don't listen to them. We're fighting a spiritual battle. And unless we understand we are fighting a spiritual battle, we cannot win. We will be captured. We will be taken prisoner, and then we'll be killed. And you see them everywhere. You see people who are in those traps. We call them addictions. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We just stepped into a spiritual realm. I can't see them. How am I supposed to fight them? What are they doing to me? Huh. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Mighty powers. I can't just I can't just do it. I have to be engaged with God to battle. In this battle, I'm already in. I don't want to lose. So I have the instructions on how to defend myself, not only to defend myself, but to defeat, to defeat the enemy, the true enemy. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Engaging in combat is ungodly. When we engage for the wrong reasons, we fight for selfishness, we fight for greed, we fight for jealousy, and or the wrong person. It's not about flesh and blood. You can pray for that person to be freed, but you better be free yourself before you do. The strongest weapon in our warfare is prayer. And like it is worship. And the others can be just as effective. Humility, gratitude, selflessness. <laughs> Five ways to engage, five definitions, none of which are excluded from revival, which is what we're really talking about, a Jesus revival. We need it. The world needs it. It doesn't come easily. It requires us to be serious about our relationship with Jesus. It requires us to be serious about a relationship with one another. We must be repented, we must be engaged, we must be united. Plus, remember your assignment for today. Remember to give her, your mother, special honor. Thank you. Pastor? Pastor?